you know, I'm just not trying to be trendy or the next best thing. I'm, I'm trying to be a safe place that's consistent that people can trust. Um, that's relatable. I don't want to, I don't want people to get lost on the hype or the, what do I got to do now to, you know, get people's you know, to get the views, to get the likes, because you can get caught up in that. And so that's not my intention. So no, I I see something or I hear something. I have a feeling of, you know, even the other day I posted about having a therapy session and just these vulnerable moments that we all deal with every day. And I've heard that I have a knack for saying things that people don't typically say. And I like that. I like to be able to say the things that people don't typically say. And right and look forward to it possibly helping someone else. Welcome to Wise and Wine, a play on the phrase, rise and shine. Now look here, folks. I've had five jobs in the last two years, and that shit just ain't normal. Or is it? No, no, it's not. So I'm turning to diverse people who inspire me both professionally and personally with careers that didn't exactly start at point A and end at point B. We'll explore how their families, their cultures, and their communities impacted their career decisions, as well as the exact moment they decided to pursue their passions, even if that passion wasn't a direct path to a pension or 401k. Hopefully, I'll come away knowing how they became the badass, the confident, the strategic people that I admire. And if I don't come out of this project a little wiser, well, at least I'll enjoy the boozy wine ride. You guys, I am back in Costa Rica. I don't think that I mentioned in the previous intro that I did go back to California for um, a family member's funeral. It was one of those things where the person passed away probably about a month ago or so. And when it came time, I think this was the memorial service. And so I think the information that I got really was just a date, time, address, and that was it. I, I didn't know if there were other activities happening around, if the family was gathering. I didn't know anything, but I just knew I had to be there. So I stayed with my best friend, and then while I was there, I met with a former colleague turned friend and then a former student turned friend. And as I was talking to the three of them at various points of the trip, I realized, oh gosh, you have different people in your life for different reasons, or there's different you get different things from different friends. So like my colleague turned friends, she's the one that is eternally optimistic. I don't think I've ever heard her say a pessimistic thing about anyone or anything ever. And so she's that person that kind of makes me rethink like, all right, what is it about a situation that there's, there's something positive here and I have to look for that thing. So she's that person that reminds me of that. And then my best friend is the person that's known me for a really long time and has seen me through different seasons of my life and can kind of connect patterns and, and similarities and threads. And so she kind of challenges me on those things. But we also have a shitload of fun too. So 
I don't know. So the person that passed away was the aunt of the mother, excuse me, of my aunt. And I call her my aunt because I don't know what else to call her. She's actually in follow this people. She is my grandmother's brother's wife. Yeah, have fun with that. I, I I think when Scuba Steve and I were at my father's funeral, I had to, on the back of a pizza box, draw a basically an org chart of my family and how everybody's related. Um, it's complicated, but it works, and they're my people, and I love them. But my aunt is just, I don't know, she's that person that everybody goes to for just the sagest of sage advices. She's that person that will say things like, hey, I don't want to have a husband. I want a best friend. Because if you think about how men treat their wives, you know, they'll cheat on their wives, they'll lie to their wives, but they'll never do that to their best friend. So I want a man, I want to be my man's best friend, which makes all of the sense of the world. And so as I was going through TikTok, as I usually do on kind of my downtime when I need a a break, a brain break when I can't sleep, whatever. Um, there's a woman that stood out to me and um, her title on TikTok is Remedy is Frank. Obviously that's not her real name, but um, I don't know how to describe her. She reminds me so much of my aunt where her TikToks are a good balance of advice um, and just sage ways to see the world. I guess she reminds me of my aunt because they both speak in this very kind of calm demeanor, which a lot of people will disagree with um, because my aunt is very animated and talks with her hands. And, you know, if we're in a restaurant, you can spot her, you know, it's her because you can hear her. But I think when things are serious and she gives you the advice, she gives it to you in a very, I don't know, just in a tone that makes you listen. And I think Remedy is the same way on her TikTok page. She, a lot of times she's laying down or she's in a car or she's doing life stuff or she's doing something, (coughs) excuse me, where she's in a very relaxed state. And so I guess it kind of forces you to listen to her words because you're not distracted by whatever else is happening in the background. Um, But she addresses things like colorism, cultural appropriation, LGBTQIA issues, equity relationships, dating, the sexualization of women, mental health, growth, corporate greed, bullying. I mean, it's the gamut, but I think it's the gamut of things that people are going through daily. I don't think anybody is just dealing with dating stuff. You're dealing with dating and you're dealing with work. You're dealing with dating and you're dealing with work and you're dealing with colorism. You know what I mean? There's there's so many facets to the things that people are dealing with, which is why I think in the short time that she's had her TikTok page that she's reached 100,000 followers because she's speaking to people and she's speaking to people in a very um, direct way. So I don't know. I asked her and she said yes. And so, you know, this is supposed to be a career podcast and we do kind of dip a little bit into her career. We start that way where we, where we talk about how, you know, she didn't go to college, but that doesn't mean she's not a very intelligent woman. College doesn't make you any smarter or better or anything more accomplished because she has been working since she was 14 and she's had jobs, everything from, you know, 
tagging clothes in a dry cleaner when she was a kid to working the ranks up in the banking industry and logistics and training. And now she works in a pretty male dominated automotive industry. And, but she's been able to learn quickly and be in service of others. You know, she's, she'll say that she's always been extremely passionate about humanity and that goes into her work. She also has had kind of a rough childhood and we don't dig deep into it. She mentions it a couple times, but my thing with the podcast, which people get annoyed at me about is if somebody doesn't want to deep dive into their stuff, I'm not going to force them to. I'm not Oprah. I'm not the person that's supposed to open you up to things that you don't want to talk about. So she does mention it a couple of times, but I don't press her on it. But I think if you listen to her advice and then also her poetry and the things that she talks about and, and how she is really dedicated to empowering women, you, you have to believe that that comes from somewhere. So yeah, I think this is one of my mellower ones. It's one that I'm humbled by, but one that I could not be more prouder to have recorded. So please enjoy my guest. Remedy is Frank. Well, hi, Remedy. Welcome to Wise and Wine. What are you drinking today? Coffee. <laughs> That's what keeps us moving these days. Maybe I should rename the podcast. I have some uh, cream rum in there. So, so, may- so maybe later. That counts. <laughs> it definitely does. Well, I'm so interested to hear and learn more about you. So please walk me through your career path, kind of sharing how your choices were influenced by your family and your culture. My career path. Well, <laughs> I've worked in a male-dominated industry for a long time. I currently work in like the automotive industry. I like doing projects and things like that. And there's always improvements that need to be made in that particular industry. And I'm pretty good at project managing. But in regards to, you know, my passion and things that I'd like to do are right. And I make music and things along those lines. But Really, I didn't do anything with it until recently in my life. And I think a lot of it stemmed from what I do for a living, how I ended up, you know, where I am now, what I realize I'm capable of doing, because I didn't graduate from college. I didn't do anything like that, but I was able to move up pretty quickly in an industry that's not designed for me and, you know, took jobs that I wasn't qualified for and became an example of what to do in that job. So. All right. So in terms of your career path, like what kind of was your first job, whether that was back in high school or kind of what, what led you to the career that you're doing now? My first job was in high school. I was 14 and I used to tag all of the dry clean clothes. My mom actually worked there. So she got me the job. And it was the hottest part of the dry cleaner, always over 100 degrees, no cool air blowing. And I've, and then I went into banking for years, a fraud banker for years, and started working in logistics, shipping logistics. And I did training for a software company that helped manufacturing companies, well, warehouses, 
you know, mitigate their risk and control, you know, control their, their environments and, and so forth. And we'd have to go through these companies and kind of help them become more efficient in regards to safety, employee training, et cetera. And I really loved um, the warehouse environment, how everything works and the idea of making it operate properly, finding risks and so forth and, and fixing it. So I went into warehouse and started off in the office and was able to move into a more challenging position that involved um, being a warehouse supervisor and took on this hybrid role that had never been done. And I was really good at it, at fixing things, making it profitable, et cetera. So um, I kind of stayed in that field. All right. And I, I get the sense from looking at your TikToks and I see that you are also a poet with extraordinary talent and a lot of your messages are about um, empowerment and self-love. Yeah. Um, at what age did you know you had a creative side to you and was it ever cultivated as you were growing up? Well, first, thank you so much for the compliment. That's really nice. Um, I have always, as long as I can ever remember been a poet. I've always been extremely passionate about humanity. Um, it was always my dream at any point that I could ever remember to change the world for the better and to unite people and make the world a better place. I had a kind of rough upbringing, so it really did push me towards writing a lot, expressing my feelings, and a large part of my upbringing involved really strong women and it was okay to be strong. And, you know, we weren't really confined to ideas, you know, the ideals of what society has for women. So that really pushed me to be free and, and think for myself and say what I wanted to say. And also, you know, just the, the difficulties that came along in my upbringing that also made me more compassionate and open to the possibilities that life has to offer and what humanity can do if we actually took each other under consideration. Right, that's amazing. All right, well, I, I recently interviewed a, a TikToker with the mission of increasing salary transparency to kind of end discrimination um, against women and people of color in the workplace. And I don't know why, but it, it reminded me of your post about being a seasonal retail employee. So other than the fact that people are infuriating, what did you learn in that space of retail? And I wonder if it also aligns to kind of what you're doing in, in warehouse as well. Okay. Listen, <laughs> I took on this seasonal job for Christmas to get some extra money and the experience humbled me. I'm usually in a higher position. Um, so I'm usually managing people. So to go into a position where I was being managed by, you know, people much younger than me, um, it was humbling. <laughs> it was hard not to be like the target Karen, like, girl, I don't know who you think you're talking to. Um, but, and I probably was that person, if I was being honest, the job didn't last very long. Um, but I learned, number one, oh I have <laughs> an endless amount of respect. I've always been the type of person that tips and I'd never just throw something on the floor and, you know, I try not to just leave things in random places in the middle of the aisle. But now when I go to the store, like you better not mess <laughs> up 
these folded clothes because I'm going to be like, excuse me, ma'am, somebody does that for a living and they don't want to walk behind you and clean up after you. They don't get paid (laughs) enough. Yep. So they're, they don't get paid enough and they usually hire younger people and they don't even understand that they're genuinely the backbone of, of the company and that it takes these people to make target target. And it is, it was really, really a lot. It was a lot of work and I've worked very hard, even physical labor. And this was taxing. It was, it was, I would never do it again. (laughs) And they could offer me a lot of money and I'd still (laughs) never do it again. Um, But I appreciate that I got that experience just simply so that I understood that retail workers, you guys are everything yep Mm -hmm. and I wonder and I and part of the reason why that spoke to me is because I have had seasonal retail jobs I think I did pier one which is no longer around and um I worked at banana republic and so you know they were on us about well make sure you get credit cards and sign people up for credit cards and I was like what no I know about debt I'm in debt that's why I'm working the second job so no I'm not going to encourage people to get in debt behind your stupid credit card I'm not doing it so they put me in the back where I didn't have to talk to nobody so I was like perfect let me just organize the clothes and the sale counter and then at, at pier one when they were again trying to push the credit card let me just fl- let me flip pillows let me flip pillows I'm not yes. doing this <laughs> that was me when I worked for the bank that's why I ended up in the fraud department or prior to it transitioning to the fraud department we had to do sales and I learned a few things working in finance number one if you they make money if you pay the interest on your credit card they also make money if you get your credit card charged off and they sell the account so regardless, they're going to make money on you and they don't care and they don't care who I'm selling it to. And I can look at this person's bank account and see that they're living paycheck to paycheck. And I just like you, I just, I couldn't get behind it. I can't, I cannot get behind the idea of encouraging someone that uh, to do something that will be harmful for them for a company that genuinely could care less you know, hourly employees became essential workers that like, oh, yeah. we, we need these target people or we, we wouldn't have them. And so I, I hope that people are a little bit nicer because of the pandemic to people in the retail space. Did you, did you find that to be the case? Well, I didn't really have to deal with anybody being rude or mean. I think that there's a special, you know, um, that God is watching over me and <laughs> protecting all the Karens because but no, I didn't really experience anyone extra rude, but the, the fact that so many people are inconsiderate mm-hmm. and I genuinely, I'd like to believe that the pandemic kind of made us value people more just in general. Uh, but, you know, there are just some people I, I believe that just are not mindful, don't care to be, that that don't take other people under consideration. Yeah. I mean, and how many times have you heard, like, that's somebody's job, like, they pay them to do that, you know, um, and not looking at them like humans that will have to put in physical labor to get it done. So I didn't have, you know, my just firsthand experience, not dealing with anyone that was rude, but definitely people are still extremely inconsiderate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I was working at a manufacturing plant that was manufacturing and I, 
I'm not gonna say what, um, but it was in manufacturing side. And so I was working with, um, I was in HR at the time working with the workers and, you know, we didn't know what the pandemic was at the beginning. And, you know, some of the, the single mothers were like, look, I have to, my kids, childcare is closed. So I have to get off. And the company saying, right. well, you have to take vacation for that. And I was like, what? I can't, I can't tell this all the black and brown people, because that's who was working in our factory at the time, right? to just take vacation because we don't have a response to this thing. And that's ultimately why I left, because I was like, yes, CEO, you don't understand <laughs> that these choices that you're making are affecting real people's lives. No, I, I, they didn't. I mean, a lot of companies, I would have expected them to be a lot more empathetic and I mean seasonal the people the essential workers should have had the red carpet rolled out for them the rest of us were in our homes um terrified to even go to the grocery store and the concept of having to go to work every day and and you being responsible for kind of not even kind of for keeping the world turning and to not have an adequate amount of, of you know, time to, for your kids, for your family, them not taking daycare, things like that under consideration, not paying for COVID leave. You're required to take the time off because we don't want anyone here with COVID, but we're not going to pay you for that. Yeah. Uh, also, not adequately reporting COVID cases to employees. I mean, in, in the beginning, you know, COVID was extremely deadly. And I don't think that, you know, we'll ever learn how many people didn't make it because of COVID, because of having to go into work every day. I don't think they'll ever share numbers like that and that companies will not ever have to pay for what employees were subjected to uh, and to have put them in that situation without support if it doesn't show the face of corporate America and how much people mean. I mean, nothing else did really. Right. And you, I think, are the face of somebody that's working your butt off, um, your full-time job. You can work up to 75 hours per week, but you're also raising a family and creative creating content, which we'll talk about shortly. But like, what is your process for balancing it all? Like, how do you parse yourself over the day without going insane? Well, I've learned a while ago to not push myself and beyond what I can bear and not set unrealistic expectations for myself as well. My kids are older, they're 13 and 15. So, you know, I establish clear boundaries and remind them that I'm human and they help me and we all kind of work together because I am a single mom. So it's really just, it took me letting go of what I thought was my responsibility. And, you know, if the kitchen doesn't get clean today, like I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Even with my job, I would work endless amounts of hours, but I don't owe that to my job and I won't give that to them. You know, my life is so much more important. And that is something that COVID um, taught me is just, how absolutely valuable time is and so I it's my most valuable asset and I don't waste it right all right I like that 
So through your TikTok page, you address issues of colorism, cultural appropriation, LGBTQIA issues, equity and relationships, dating, sexualization of women, mental health, broke, corporate greed, bullying. Like <laughs> that's a lot for one person. <laughs> And in less than a year, you've amassed a following of over 145,000 followers and more than 1.6 million likes. What was your goal when you first started your page and, and how are you evolving? I honestly, my goal has always been just social justice. I mean, just spreading love and equality and trying to figure out the simplest way to say the most difficult things that, you know, I feel like there's always this thought that we all have that's right outside of our mind's grasp. And if someone just said it in the right way that you would have this aha moment. And I was really hoping that I could create these aha moments but on a level that would help us see the real issues that we face to stop being distracted by things that are not the problem, um, focusing on enemies that aren't actual threats, et cetera, but just to really show people to love themselves, how to love themselves, what it means and what it means to love and accept other people that for example, if you don't believe that it's okay for people to be gay, you know, what can I say to help you to understand that just because you don't choose to do that, and that's not something you yourself want to participate in, that it's not something you don't, you don't have to worry about it. It's not something that you need to take under consideration. Why would you even waste time and energy to dislike or go against something that you're not being forced to participate in sure. and how do I say to the black community for example that if you want to fight for equal rights that you cannot also be biased against other groups and movements that are fighting for the same thing sure. like I don't want to see gay people on tv but they didn't want to see black people on tv either but gay is not being normal. And I'm, there's people that didn't think that being Black was normal either, you know? So just kind of understanding that if you want equal rights, you cannot say, but for them and for them, but not for them, because that's the same thing that's happening to you. Right. So really just wanting to see equal rights for everybody. So again, to the original point, that was my hope. My hope was, how can I make the world safer and how can I give people these aha moments that might create healthier environments for everybody to be safe to live in? Um, and, and, and I had no idea how I was going to do that. I tried, I mean, I mean, you went through enough of my TikToks to see in the beginning, I was just doing stuff and throwing stuff out there and never in a million years did I ever expect to get the response that I've gotten at all. <laughs> I, and I, I can't speak for everybody, but I will say for me, part of it is your approach. I think 
and I, it, this is probably naturally you that you're just so calm about it. Like you don't get out there and you're not shouting and you're not jumping all over the place. You know, 99.9% of the time it's a close up on your face and you're just talking. And I think that's part of it. Part of it, it's, it's like having a conversation with your best friend over coffee. Like what's going on? Well, let's sit down and talk about it. And I think for me that that's what resonated about it was just your, you just have this very like Maya Angelou just just this calm approach to it. So is this, is this just naturally you, or is this something you thought about as you were creating your, your site? Honestly, I didn't realize that that was my persona until everyone started pointing it out to me. (laughs) I'd never gotten so many compliments on my voice and my delivery. And so many people saying, I could just listen to you all day. And I'm like, well, I need to start recording some of those videos on uh, YouTube. What is it? Uh, (laughs) <laughs> ASMR oh <laughs> but, no yeah I didn't know that I guess I can be silly I am monotone I am very monotone um and my humor is very monotone <laughs> and I've offended countless people in my life because they just couldn't tell that I was joking and, and you know I'm like and to me it's obvious I would never <laughs> say that you know and it took it took a long time for me to realize like you know, Remedy, people don't know that you would never say that seriously. And, you know, the, the best part of the joke is the fact that I have a straight face, you know? Yes. yes. So that is me all the time, but I have definitely perfected my delivery, my demeanor. Again, the whole point of trying to sum up what you're trying to say, people's attention span isn't very long and you can lose people on a lot of words. So how do I make the most effective point in the shortest amount of time? How do I resonate with people? And I love that TikTok has, the, you know, you got 15 seconds, one minute, and I try to always keep things down to one minute because I'll re-record these videos multiple times and take the best pieces and, and just really um, make my point. And I think that's really important to learn how to do, um, to say what you mean. Um, without getting lost yeah so is that your approach you just kind of free form record and then edit well, how do you and I how much and edit. how much time oh no this is just you off the cuff okay <laughs> I never edit um I never write anything down there I'll be in the shower thinking about funny videos that I can do that I never really actually do but I am not I mean, I I imagine my platform could go a lot longer if I was willing to edit and probably be more of the character that I actually can be. Even I could put some of my music out there and things, but honestly, I don't really intend, I didn't really intend to be, you know, famous or, or, you know, I'm just not trying to be trendy or the next best thing I'm, I'm trying to be a safe place that's consistent that people can trust um that's relatable I don't want to I don't want people to get lost on the hype or the what do I got to do now to you know get people you know to get the views to get the likes because you can get caught up in that and right, right. so that's not my intention so no I I see something or I hear something I have a feeling of you know, even the other day I posted about having a therapy session and just these vulnerable moments that we all deal with every day. And 
I've heard that I have a knack for saying things that people don't typically say. And I like that. I like to be able to say the things that people don't typically say and, right. and look forward to it possibly helping someone else. And I, I feel like you and I, our for you pages are very different because I, I know you, you either duet or you um, give videos of black men just saying the craziest thing about the women that they're looking for. So I don't, they are not on my for you page. So I don't even know where you find them from. I hope that they see your responses to them, but um, are you, what is your goal with those? Are those hitting <laughs> your target audience? Like, what are you hoping comes out of those responses to some of these dumb misogynist crazy videos that you respond to you know it's funny because this stuff does not typically show up on my for you page either I am typically following the people that would respond to these people so that is the way that I end up seeing it uh, much like you would with me responding but I am not on the (laughs) (laughs) good good um I don't think I could handle it the, the fact is, is that I love women. Um, every piece of artwork in my house, every painting, everything is of women. My next tattoo is going to be a sleeve of uh, superhero women. They'll be all black, different superheroes and stuff. But, you know, um, because they're amazing and empowering and under the circumstances. And I always say that it is hard to be a woman but it is impossible to be a black woman and yet mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, we still we still do it and right. so beautifully and so effortlessly it's it's it leaves me in awe so I know what it's like to seek the validation from men I know what it's like to want to be loved by them and just you know not having that pan out but more importantly our entire you know, all of society, everything that we read, every time we're scrolling through social media, it's telling women what they need to do to appeal to men. And as if we don't have our own self-worth and it is impossible to be confident based on these unrealistic standards that are forever changing and all over the place. So whenever I see one of these men putting women down it's not really to confront the men, but to me is to just remind the women, the ladies that are listening that <laughs> they could never, like, <laughs> you know, like, um, that we don't ever have to be what anybody says that we have to be. And I don't care how many of these completely emotionless, bitter, narcissistic um, people try to push that onto us. We don't have to own it and we can take our power back. And for all those that can't arrange their words correctly or don't have the courage to say what they feel, you call me. Yeah. <laughs> call me like, I got you <laughs> I, I, I got the words I got the words and yeah. I think too um colorism being a thing that you've got to deal with not only I, I, I've seen more your, most of your TikToks I think they're related to dating but I'm assuming that you're you're facing it in other aspects of your life as well so are, is there 
something you're hoping to achieve, eliminate, bring attention to when you're talking about colorism as well? Man, that, that's a really big topic for me. My mom is a Black woman and she's dark. My sister is dark and I grew up with a Black family. And obviously they reminded me constantly of how white I am. Um, and I, it just, you know, and having a white family as well, my, I don't only just have a white family, but I have a conservative father that is a Donald Trump loving uh, Republican second amendment, you know, don't take away my gun, you know, <laughs> he is everything I fight against every day. And my white family is all white. So, you know, never fitting in, never, mm-hmm. never really finding a really good place to exist in that. And it, you have to be mindful of so much. For example, you know, when I was in Jamaica, there was a gentleman, I said, there's all these beautiful women out here that are interested in you. They're trying to push me into dating you. I mean, to going home with you and I'm not interested. Like, why don't you go talk to one of them? Why are you trying to talk to me? And he's like, I like your complexion. And like, if you want to instantly upset me, (laughs) say that. Um, Because I feel like it's always in comparison to darker women. And I don't ever, ever, like I, I'm never going to want to be, um, I never want to be that person. I never want to be prettier because, or better because, and it just plays into these white, <laughs> this white, the white agenda. Mm-hmm. And we just need, we have to outgrow it. So when I was younger, I wanted to participate in this black beauty pageant. And I was told that I couldn't because I, if I won, I would win it would look like I won because I was so light. Uh, And as a young girl, that was difficult, but I understood. And I think that it sucks because we want to be able to be black too. But the reality is that we are also required to acknowledge the reality of what it means to be a lighter black person and Mm. to make sure that we're making space for every color um, of person. So it was difficult, but I would have hated to win because I was light and I definitely would have hated to win if I wasn't the prettiest girl or the most talented person in there and to take that away from someone. So we have to, as lighter skinned people, I think, I was asking someone today, I said, I imagine there's light-skinned girls out there that would not mind someone saying, I like you because of your complexion, you know, Mm -hmm. but that has to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the most difficult time that I get is from dark-skinned women, essentially reminding me all the time, you ain't even black, you ain't Mm -hmm. even black. I'm not going to show my mom or my family, like, I'm not ever, I'm never going to do that. Like I, uh, white people don't think I'm white. So, and I've had to live with that reality too, but not in the same way that I know the dark people do. So I will never stop acknowledging that, but it would be great for us to, um, come together. The more of us, the better. And 
they've convinced us that we have to stay segregated even amongst our own culture and it's unfortunate yeah that's well said i didn't think about how challenging it is to now now it's another layer it's okay i'm i'm a woman i'm a plus woman i'm a black woman but then my light i'm a lighter skinned woman so you've got all these other elements of, of and, things and to deal is. with and you're you're even in college you know when i was taking um <laughs> before I dropped out and had kids but no um I remember taking some speech classes and every topic was black and white you know everything and anytime anything black would come up you know people would be looking at me to answer for it and it's just I'm I'm gray mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like I'm gray I understand you know why white people are even the way that they are my dad for example he's never dated anything but a black woman in his life he loves black people he has no problem being around them every bar he goes to every, you know he, he just he's the whitest white person and he has no problem at all being around black people but he has inherited racism mm. um and there's you know, knowing my family's history, knowing my grandparents' history, knowing that they were racist and prejudiced. And there was years, I mean, that, that they, my dad, his sister had never even met or seen a black person in their life. Wow. And if you called my dad racist, he would lose it. And he would never let someone call someone like the N word in front of him. He would never accept that but he also refuses to accept the reality of what black people face in this country the difference between someone that is black or white and even acknowledge his i mean just even that like he won't take your word for it you know like dad this is what the reality is like being black no they're not doing that out there it's like how, <laughs> like, how are you gonna tell me you know and that's most of our conversations is it's us arguing about what it's like to be black, you know. <laughs> so rather he, it's intentional or not, it's inherent. And I can see how he became that way and how a lot of people become that way. A lot of white people become that way. So it's, you know, again, back to the point that I was making that I am the gray because it is just as much in me as any other black person to view white people as an enemy because they're a constant threat. But I can't just write them off completely because just as much as we were taught to feel inferior, it was ingrained in them to be superior. And more importantly, to deem us as a threat. Um, and if somebody teaches you that from the time that you can ever remember listening, hearing, speaking, or seeing, it's really hard to even acknowledge that that's how you think or that's how you feel because right. it's so deeply rooted. And so we have got to, I mean, you know, that's why critical race theory is such a big deal because it's not just about teaching Black people about the things that they're up against, how it started, but it's, it's it's teaching white people how they became savages that hunted human beings. Right. And how all of that impacts the things that happen in our society today. And I, I don't know why people are so resistant to it. And I think from my only 
understanding is that when people benefit from something, they don't want to give up the thing that they're benefiting from. They don't want to give up their benefit. So it's easier to be like, no, no, it's not like that versus going, oh, well, if I have to share or if I have to give up something that if I have to give up my advantage, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> if I, I want to get my that, That's no, that's 100% a big part of it. But like, let me just give you something else to think about. If white people have to accept the reality, that's going to be an impossible pill to swallow. I mean, you have to think about fighting in a relationship, you know, like you're pissed at your significant other and you guys are going back and forth and you're not talking to them and you're screaming, you're fighting, you're telling all your girlfriends complaining. And then you get that one friend that's like, girl, like you're wrong. Like it's your fault, you know? And you're like, oh my God, you know, you have to try to accept that. Right. Like you don't want to accept that. Like, like now I have to apologize. Like now I have to go back. I got to tuck my tail. You know, you'd rather just like, well, whatever. I'm not, you know, you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to have to acknowledge that you were, even though, you know, your friend made it clear and you're like, oh my God, it was me. Like, what is the likelihood? Like, you know how mature you would have to be to go back to your partner and be like, I just made an ass of myself and <laughs> I apologize for that, you know? Um, so imagine that on a scale of being an oppressor, yeah. of being racist, of sabotaging, ruining, hunting, murdering, enslaving. And I mean, I'm talking about the prison system, everything else. I mean, I don't think that, I don't know that, that a lot of them could even handle that, the responsibility of, of accepting who they really are. And I, I just can't imagine them ever wanting to have to do that. So as long as they can keep making excuses and making excuses, they don't have to accept the fact that they call black people animals. I mean, there wasn't, there was no housewife that would have been okay with them bringing home a human being and saying, we're going to enslave them and force labor on them. And put them in horrible housing conditions. I mean, even white women would be like, what? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're going to do what? So they had to come up with an idea. Like, how are we going to get our wives on board with this? You know, how are we going to get our mothers on board with this and other people on board? And they said, we're going to say that they're dangerous. Mm -hmm. yep. We're going to say that they're animals. We're going to say that they'll hurt our kids and they don't speak English. So they can't convince us otherwise. We're going we're gonna to make them look like savages. We're going to present them as savages. We're going to present them as animals. And they referred to black people as animals and in that process of, of teaching they brainwashed their own people into being fearful for profit yeah. and in the process of, of selling animals they built savages that hunted people I mean and that's just the reality of it and who who in the world would ever want to accept the fact that they are inherent savages yeah. And your, your analogy about the friend is perfect. It, it's yes, you're a hundred people can tell you the same thing, but, but when your best friend tells it to you, you listen. And so that's, yeah. the, that's the question. Who's the best friend in the, that's going to get through to people, right. But who, who's that person that somebody that white people will listen to oh, when yeah. they say no, this, they're going to go, Oh, I'm going to tell you who you're right. They're <laughs> kids. Ooh, it's going to be their kids. 
That's why they don't want critical race theory to be taught to their children because there's already white girls asking their racist fathers why they're talking about black people like that. I mean, social media is a huge influence over this generation and it is not trendy to be racist. No. It is not trendy to be homophobic or transphobic. So there's a lot of white kids in households every day shaking them up and fighting their own parents tooth and nail. I mean, it was kids turning their parents in for the January 6th riot. Yeah, you're right. You know, kids are, are turning in their politician parents for being horrible. So they're not going to be able to be around their grandkids. They're not going to be able to pass down their legacies. They're not going to be able to have anything to do with their kids because their kids are not going to want to have anything to do with them because they're not going to want to be associated with something that's not trendy. It is not trendy to be hateful. It is not trendy to not be pro BLM. Mm -hmm. Who was it? I forget who it was. And I should know this, who that terrible, terrible woman. And then her daughter was putting her on blast was put yeah, up you're talking about the politics the, the yes politics yes i don't know why yeah, yes yeah, that's what i was thinking of <laughs> i can't remember who that was either either but it's her that lady and her husband but yeah mm-hmm. no she heard her daughter. Mean, and you don't hear about her it really affected her in a large way because your if your kids say hey my mom is using the n-word in the home like nobody's going to be like that kid is a liar you know, exactly. they have a motive they're mm-hmm. trying to gain something i mean there's no worse witness than someone that's grown up with you to Mm -hmm. contest to your true nature and behavior and when you're on a political campaign you want your kids to sit there in nice clothes and smiles and pretend to love mommy and the last thing you want is for your kids to call you out for being a horrible person (laughs) Uh and and they will and they'll keep receipts they're videotaping everything they do and they do (laughs) but it's it's like it wasn't even a matter of like, I'm upset with my mom. She's not giving me what I want. It's the fact that there was a generation in that particular family where a conscious was born, where this person took a step back and said, it's a lot harder for me to hate someone for no reason than for me to question why you do. And, right. and it stops right there. <laughs> you know, it stops right there hopefully oh and you and it is in the we're in pride month right now and you have an lgbtqia plus child and one of the things that i've seen on your tiktoks is you responding to people leaving you dumb dumb comments about that and so with your upbringing and childhood like it was there a moment or were you when your child came out was it like well yeah of course first of all i've always been an advocate I've never understood people's hatred for that community. I never, I never did. It never made any sense to me. I'm like, you know, you go into a grocery store, there's all these missing children all over the walls. <laughs> and we're worried about the gay couple down the street. I mean, even as a young girl, I used to, I, I would be like, why do you, they love each other. Like, when is love bad? Like, yeah. how is that bad? You know, and obviously having, you know, experienced church and the fact that how being gay, et cetera, is portrayed in the media, you feel like it's ethically, you feel like it's morally wrong. But I could never be hateful. I could never be mean. I've always been a supporter. I used to, the first club I ever went to, 
uh, was a gay club and I used to go every single weekend um, and I always had gay friends and, and lesbian friends and trans friends and people are people, good people are good people, bad people are bad people who someone loves unless it's a child or against their you know without their consent um is none of my concern and yeah. it does not define a human being to me and and I've met and and I don't care what anybody says you can't tell me that God is is as hateful as humanity has become against that community so my family my mom my aunt everyone there was never there was never pre- they were always welcome to everybody and um so I didn't get to ex- my dad is <laughs> <laughs> you know and we would fight about that too uh, we're, I'm not going to talk about this with you you know it's totally anti-gay totally anti-LGBT it doesn't make any sense it doesn't have to make sense to you like right. nobody's trying to force it on you but um I was fortunate enough to grow with women that were very accepting in that nature. So when my son came out, I was disappointed that it took him longer so that Mm. I could keep him safe. We had suspected it. And even before their father passed away, I said, you know, how would you feel if, if Maurice was gay? And he was like, that's my son. I'm going to love him regardless. It doesn't matter. You know? So even after my son came out, I was able to tell him like, Hey, even your dad, like loves you and supports Aww. you that's all the love and support you need and let's let's go so um it didn't hurt it didn't bother me it didn't upset me he's it, why yeah he's still like the best kid and Aww. being gay doesn't it doesn't change anything yeah it was always strange to me my dad um was big into making sure we knew about kind of equality and that we were in spaces and he would always take us to like events and different places and museums just so we knew our place in in history but then he would take us to an lgb uh excuse me a wmba game and be annoyed that women were kissing and it's like why do you care (laughs) like you brought us to this game so that we could see women in sports all right. You well, know, who's, you know, who supports women inherent. in sports, other women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, but it's inherent. Like I was saying about white people, rather black people want to accept it or not. The LGBTQIA community, if they haven't taught us anything else, is that you can inherit prejudice. And that's exactly what's happened right. is that the same way that whites were taught to not like black every race was taught to not like that community and they kicked out their own children cast them aside shun them embarrassed shamed act like they didn't even have kids and i tell people you wonder why this the lgbtq plus community is the biggest one they have the biggest movement the biggest impact because they consist of all races everybody yep all genders and they were all cast aside together and black parents and you know native and asian you know they were all throwing away their gay kids you know um and so it's like you know if we were to actually unite the causes then imagine the traction we would be able to have but because of prejudice inherent um we can't and it's it's so unfortunate it's so unfortunate (sighs) So the one, if I had to like 
describe your TikTok page in one word, I guess wisdom is the word I think of, because you give these pieces of advice, things like, you know, don't complain past the point of an apology, which I was like, (gasps) and of course I got in a a fight with my boyfriend that day. So that like, that hurt me right here. (laughs) (laughs) But even amendments or uh, observations like, hey, you know, people use the first amendment in the wrong way. Like the first amendment nobody ever shouts hey Lisa you're fucking beautiful <laughs> when it comes to like using your freedom of speech I'm like yes we don't so for never you, I love that I thought it was so funny so where do you think you get your wisdom from in the most humble way I could possibly say this again thank you so much for the compliment but I honestly I don't know um I teach myself a lot of stuff by speaking, if I can make that make any sense. I think my heart in the, when I was a kid, I was empathic to the point of it almost being crippling. And I never understood hate. It was something I had to learn. It didn't come natural. And I, that's a, I try to make this make sense to people, but I genuinely didn't understand why people hurt other people that it wasn't until I was hurt time and time and time and time again that I, I was able to recognize it, but not still under, I don't, I still, you know, it, it's still never, it's never something that I understand. It doesn't, it doesn't ever, it's never going to make sense to me. So with that, it was, I looked at life from, based on what my therapist said, <laughs> I kind of see life from this aerial perspective and um, a lot of people look at things from right what's right in front of them. So if we're in a crowd full of, if you're looking, if you're within a crowd full of people and you're looking around the crowd, you'll see who looks gay and who's a woman and who's black and who's all these different things. And you'll get hung up on those social schemas and those biases that you may have pertaining to those different observations. But I don't see life that way. I see it from a view that's too far away to make out the details. So I would notice the conflict. I would notice the war. I would notice the, the lakes that are empty and you know those that are hungry and starving but I don't know if it's a man or a woman or if they're gay or if they're black or they're white because I'm not looking at it from that perspective. But I feel like we all get so caught up in looking at things and what's right in front of our face that the bigger picture is going completely unnoticed. So I think just being able to, my mind working that way and looking at things from this bigger perspective that it seems like I have a lot of wisdom, but I don't know that I'm I'm just oh so smart as much as I just have a different view. I'll take it. It's a view that we need. Keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) So for as many people who applaud and uplift you, there are still kids in your life that just call you mom. And nobody thinks their mom is cool unless you're Barack and Michelle. Um, So how do your kids view your work on TikTok? And First of all, my daughter had a full meltdown when I said I wanted to create a TikTok. I mean, kicked and screamed, you can't, you cannot do this, you know, and I'm like, there's a lot of older people on TikTok, you know, we're, we're fighting and my feelings were hurt, you know, because 
throughout my whole life I've heard people tell me you're too loud you're too emotional you you care too much you're too hard you're too tough you know there's been a million reasons why I shouldn't believe in myself and so to see my own child I didn't raise her like that you know I didn't raise her to be that kind of person and I was hurt by it and um but my son is like girl give me your phone <laughs> I got you <laughs> we'll set it up for you you know um and he wasn't as I mean it's hard for them to see me it was hard for them to see me make these videos like oh my god mom like I hope nobody <laughs> from my school sees this and my first video that went viral to me was my video that I had made about Snoop Dogg and I was like the views were going up like every second it was going up like thousands of views and I'm like oh my god and I'm like running to the kids like look at this and my daughter's like it won't happen twice you know <laughs> and she has me blocked um on TikTok at this point and the next morning I wake up and I'm like I told her I said by the time I wake up I'm gonna have 17,000 views you know and she comes in my room and I open up my eyeballs she's standing over me she's like do you know how many views you have it's like 67,000 <gasps> I'm like well how do you know you got me blocked I didn't block <laughs> you to check um my daughter and I did not become TikTok friends until I was at 100,000 followers. Oh, okay. She had a standard. <laughs> she said, you must, you must be this tall to ride this ride. Okay. <laughs> Basically. And, um, but their friends know me. They know me from TikTok. They think I'm, you know, they think I'm cool. Like your mom is so funny. She said this and that. And I think that now it's like, you know, my mom is remedy as opposed to like, oh my God, my mom is remedy, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> they just became little clout chasers that's it they didn't like me before that <laughs> they, they didn't like you before that all right so there is I've seen I don't know if this is on TikTok but I've seen it in um podcasting world where there's a thing called buy me a coffee where if you're a content creator there's a, a platform where people can send money to you and buy you a coffee. Now, I guess for you, it'd probably be buy me a taco, but do you have plans to monetize your content? This one's a hard one for me um, because that's not my intention. And again, back to the original, what I was saying before about, I just, it's a hard time in the world right now. So taking people's money <laughs> I've never been super good at that but um what let me just say let me just say this I am hoping that my platform gives me opportunities like the one that you gave me right now and I hope that I'm you know when I decide to start my own podcast and so forth that uh, we can start getting some money from corporations and companies that have it to spare um, and that I can do what I love to do and what I'm passionate about and live off of it. That's my hope. But I do not hope to live off of my supporters. That makes if sense. that makes any sense. I'm hoping that my supporters can let me live off of other companies, <laughs> not live off my supporters. But I mean, you know, I thought about, I'm, I am probably going to do some t-shirts um, with some of the things that I've said on them. But I'll pick somewhere to donate. 
um, some proceeds to and things like that. It'll make me feel better about it. But, you know, we got to see things like, you know, fluffy man connoisseur. We got to get that on a t-shirt <laughs> or get you a Barbie doll the next time you decide to play with a bitch. That's one of my favorites. We got to get we got to get stuff like that on. T- it deserves to be on a t-shirt. You know, the first so. the First Amendment one should be on a t-shirt, too. I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got to be able to. um so we, we got to get some stuff like that out there, but that, that wasn't my intention, but you know, we'll see what happens. All right. And I will, hopefully you hear this as I intended that if you do monetize stuff that you're not taking money from your supporters, we're giving it to you willingly. I, willingly. I, I know, <laughs> I know, but it's, it's, I mean, you see TikTokers, it becomes an entirely different world when there's money involved and you got the pressure to perform and I'm not performing. I'm, I'm just being myself and trying to create a safe space for other people to see that I'm a human being and hopefully gain some confidence, some love, some encouragement, some, some, you know, like recognition, whatever the case may be. And I don't ever want there to be a question on if it's authentic or if I'm putting on a show to make money. Um, So that is important to me. It will always be important to me. All right. Well, my final question for you is if you could see 10 years into the future, what would you need to see in order to think, yeah, I made it. I'm really successful. I would like to know that I was behind putting a lot more women in power and um in political positions I'm, I'm really big into politics i try to keep it off my platform but sometimes i'll pull it in a little bit but i believe i was really success i feel like i'm really successful now um mm-hmm. and in a way that like just even the people that i've touched and that i reached but if i was able to create organizations like i plan to um empower more women and things i want programs in schools for young girls especially again I said I love women so that's where my heart is to help kids help women and if my name is on some organizations that that do that um I will I'll have made it perfect perfect and thank you so much Remedy for your time it was a pleasure talking to you where can my four listeners find you well, um, just basically on TikTok, no, on, on TikTok, um, I'm L Remedy, um, and you can find me on Instagram, uh, L Remedy is Frank, and I got a YouTube channel, I don't do anything with it, but maybe one day I'll, add, I'll work over there, but might as well just say it, it's my YouTube channel. I like it. And maybe, maybe you can enlist the help of your daughter. Finally, maybe that's how you get her on board. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think, I don't think so. (laughs) All right, Remedy. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the wise and wine podcast. Don't forget, episodes come out every Tuesday wherever you find podcasts. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. You can also find information about my guests on my Instagram page at Wise and Wine Podcast or send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns at wiseandwine at gmail.com. So I hope that our time today helps you pass the time on your commute. 
pass the time on the treadmill or pass the time while you're working on those TPS report. And hopefully you left this day a little wiser. Have a great day. Bye-bye.